Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are merely role players, where theatrical people play role playing games. Welcome, everybody, to this, our very special mini series, uh, the Merely Role Players Replay. Today, I will be taking you on a journey into the past. Together, dear friends, we will go through the archives, we'll dig through old programs, check our pockets for used ticket stubs, and remember fondly together the wonderful past seasons of Merely Role Players. My name is Josh, regular player, contributor to Chaos, uh, friend of the podcast. Uh, you may recognise my voice from various seasons in the Blackshaw saga, uh, and I also play an insane old woman in the Vigil series. I'm delighted today to be joined by Merely Role Player's very own supreme storytelling savant. You know him as the voices of, among others, Lulu Bagoo, Kath and Enid, Catastrophe and or Calamity, and of course the Bovril-infused madman himself, Errol, uh, crafter of epic tales, keeper of the Cursed Dice Tower, lore master extraordinaire, director and producer, uh, among other roles, of the Merely Role Players podcast. I'm of course referring to the irresistible, incandescent and irreplaceable Matt Boothman. Hi Matt. Hello. How was that for an intro? <laughs> uh, I, I've melted into a small puddle in my chair. <laughs> you know, when I, when I wrote it in my head, we were doing this in front of a live studio audience to, to, to 200 people. Whereas when I'm just saying it to your face four feet away from me, it's a little, little bit weird. But welcome. I'm making um, strong eye contact, as in, uh, in Let's Get Gideon, which we'll talk about at some point. It was very intense indeed. How are you today? I'm, I'm well. Uh, excited I, I've, to be. I've avoided the Rona so far. Good to, good to hear. Um, for those of you uh, maybe listening in the future, we are recording in January 2022, the, the year of Omicron, but we're both feeling okay. Yeah. Excellent. How do you feel about potentially looking back over all these years of, of merely role players history? Looking back at early stuff always has the potential to be a bit embarrassing. <laughs> True. Look back at uh, uh, things that you did before you knew better. That's fair. Well, we'll be able to see a lot of progress that has been made throughout the years. Of That's a nice ways. way of putting it. That's a nice way. We'll use the word progress. That's great. I'm really, really looking forward to this. Um, for those of you who didn't get uh, an indication of what we're doing from my slightly pompous and grandiose introduction there, um, we're going to be looking back through the old seasons of Millie Role Players. Uh, I've got tons of questions um, from myself and from uh, the cast to put to Matt. Uh, and we're just going to go through and have a good old time revisiting old memories. So, Matt... Shall we begin? Let's. Let's flip the roles here. Normally you're setting the scene. Let me set the scene for you, okay? So you and I are currently sitting, let's say we're sitting in a grand library in a large manor somewhere. We're sitting in comfortable leather wingtip chairs. We have a glass of brandy in our hands, a roaring fireplace to our sides. Uh, we're just two old gentlemen chatting about old podcasting and tabletop role playing. How does that sound? Let me just get into character. Ooh, I'm an old man. Oh my God, it's like I've got old man Starkey <laughs> in the room with me. More on him later. Okay, let's begin. Merely Role Players is uh, originally your brainchild. I believe it is around four or five years old now. We put out our first episode around Halloween 2017. So that would make us, sort of, yeah, four and a bit. Mm. You're, we're old hands in uh, uh, in terms of podcasting. Certainly, that's a long time to be podcasting for. It is quite a while, yeah. So, and, and to have to be to have been doing it consistently over that time as well. Absolutely. I mean, the amount of content that you put out. If you go through Spotify or you go through wherever you uh, get your podcast and you scroll through, you'll see the number of episodes and the number of series that that you got, that we put out is um, wonderful. Let's let's go right back to the beginning then. So it's in the summer of 2017, a different time, simpler time. Where did the idea come from? You obviously have, for those of you who are listening who don't know, you've got a lot of experience in role-playing games generally. But where did the idea come to create a podcast from that? Well, I mean, at, that, at the time, I didn't have a lot of experience in role-playing games generally. I played my first ever role-playing game session that year. That was the year that I got into Critical Role. I think that was my first real exposure to 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. And just as I was getting into those episodes and starting to go, oh, this might be a thing I could get into, uh, our mutual friend, Christopher Starkey, got in contact with uh, a number of familiar merely role players' names and asked if we wanted to start playing in a campaign he wanted to run. 
So I think it was around, uh, it must have been sort of May, June, July 2017, I made a character sheet for the very first time. <laughs> Remind us of the, uh, the name of that character. Uh, that was uh, Silas Glenborn. Excellent. Or, uh, that was a pseudonym uh, because he was an incognito noble. So his real name was Silas Pheromond. Marvellous uh, names. He was a human rogue. Uh, and yeah, so we started playing Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons that year, I believe. I went on from Critical Role. I also found The Adventure Zone. Started listening to that as well, which was also playing Dungeons and Dragons at the time. And probably various other things as well, which I can't quite remember the exact sequencing of. But uh, getting into that kind of stuff, to I very quickly decided I wanted to start running things or experimenting with running things. And let me try and remember the sequence of events here because what led to Merely Role Players was a game that I ran on a, a holiday with a group of friends, not all of whom went on to be in Merely Role Players, but many of them did. And uh, it was a, uh, a hack of the Powered by the Apocalypse engine. And I believe my first exposure to Powered by the Apocalypse was the Adventure Zone. Um, they have the, an arc uh, near the end of their first big story balance uh, called The Stolen Century, where they switched from Dungeons and Dragons to a Powered by the Apocalypse hack for a season. And that was my first exposure to really any role-playing game system that wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. I think that's probably the same for most people that get into role-playing games as they hear about the big one, right? They hear about yeah. the gateway, which is D&D, and that's all they think role-playing is about. But obviously, there's a whole world of other systems out there. Yeah, and I think because of the point at which I joined the Adventure Zone, the, the period from I first heard of role-playing games and I've started playing Dungeons and Dragons to I have discovered this other system and the possibilities that it holds was quite short. Like it was a matter of uh, months rather than sort of spending years and years and years as a D&D player. So yeah, I discovered the How by the Apocalypse Engine through that, went looking for information about it and found Avery Alder's Simple World, um, which is sort of a game and sort of a Hacking Powered by the Apocalypse manual which gives you the basics of uh, here's how stats work, here are things that you can adopt as moves, here are th ways to make your hack genre appropriate and sort of emulate the genre that you're interested in. And I knocked together a, a ghost story system from that, which I then pitched as an evening activity to the people that I was going on holiday with. Where were we? Where were we? Because I tried to make it uh, relevant to the place that we were staying and in incorporate some local history. You, were you staying at a big national trust property no, in the middle so, of nowhere? So or? it was a group of friends that we, we often do stay at big, um, like restored historic to one extent or another properties. But this one was an Airbnb, just a, a reasonably large one. <laughs> it had a pond in the garden with an island in the middle and a boat that you could use to get to it. Wow. There was a Shetland pony that lived in the garden. Fantastic. Uh, who we were told clearly by the landlady, uh, do not leave the kitchen door open because she will come inside. That sounds wonderful. Why would you not want a Shetland pony <laughs> interrupting your breakfast? Uh, there was a Shetland pony in the kitchen at one point of that holiday. Lovely. But yeah, I sort of sent around a message to the, everybody who was on that holiday, which must have been about eight or nine people, saying, I want to run a very simple role-playing game one evening uh, it'll be like a ghost story, horror kind of uh, genre. Anybody who's interested, let me know and I'll print some sheets and we'll we'll do this. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> everybody on holiday ended up doing it. <laughs> so I ended up running, I think I had run a couple of sessions of D&D before that, so it wasn't my first time GMing anything, but it was certainly my first time GMing for like eight or nine people. Well, then all the all the uh, the, the the stress and the focus is on you to, <laughs> to provide entertainment for the evening, uh -huh. ultimately, right? You are there to make sure that this number of people have a good time on their holiday and you don't waste an evening, which ultimately you didn't. <laughs> but what's great about the system that you created and what would eventually turn and merge into Ariadne um, is how simple it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people don't realise about doing something like D&D. 
this isn't a podcast where we just um, shit on D&D, but D&D is a very complicated system. For a first timer to have that many stats and that many dice, it can be quite overwhelming. So to try and sell to a group of people who ultimately have gone away on holiday to relax and have a good time and drink a glass of wine in the evening with a Shetland pony, um, they want to relax. And so to play your system, which is, hey, roll those two dice, add one of three numbers to it, and I'll tell you the result. That's brilliant. That's like playing a board game. That's like playing an evening's parlour game. Yeah, and we've done murder mysteries before. So the idea of getting into a character and saying what you do Mm. was not unfamiliar to anybody there, I don't Mm. think. It was that the concept of adding the randomness of dice was what was different and needed to be got. And the idea of having like a single storyteller figure who is kind of arbitrating mm-hmm. certain aspects of what's going on I guess was is different to how murder mysteries usually run mm-hmm. and uh, like not everybody on that holiday was a theatre person but at least some of them had mm-hmm. theatre backgrounds improv backgrounds um, back in university a number of us who now do merely role players were part of uh, an improv comedy group so like the idea of improvising in front of people was was not totally alien, I don't think. No, it's really quite simple. When you, if ever you're DMing or GMing to a group of drama graduates or thespian types, all you need to do is say, "Oh, this is your character," and suddenly we all just go starry-eyed and say, "Well, what's my motivation? Where am I going?" It doesn't take much to spark us into life. So, it, it must have been very comfortable for you to start with with theatrical type people. Which yeah. is the point of this podcast, where theatrical people play role-playing games. Exactly. Um, so move, moving away from that then. So you played that game. It was a stunning success. Everybody had a lovely time. An idea then formulated in, in your head, hey, why don't we sit down at a table and record this and send it out to the good people of the internet? Yeah. What prompted you to make that jump? What prompted you in your head to have a creative spark to say, hey, we need to get this onto the internet rather than just playing it around the table? Um, I think I was at a point where I wanted to be making something i i studied creative writing because i wanted to write and like not just for myself but put some stories out there and at that point i wasn't really doing anything like that sort of solo i was having trouble writing short stories and novels which i had been doing up until that point Um, I wasn't very inspired about like ideas for drama to write that kind of stuff and it just seemed like a more collaborative and a a, a lower pressure way of doing something dramatic something tangentially theatrical and creating some stories that could be fun for people to enjoy and putting them out there and also and I think this is a motivation for this is where the motivations for playing role-playing games and starting podcasts overlap. Uh, it's just an excuse to hang out with people mm-hmm. to say, hey, I want to spend some time with all of you. Let's make a thing. Yeah, for sure. You know, let's, let's play a game or let's make a, make a thing. And that is a reason for us to all get together and be in each other's company. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and what a wonderful, wonderful thing that you have created from all of this. What's good about the series is that it follows this um, sort of narrative-focused gameplay, right? You always, from the beginning, said, tell me what you're doing and I'll tell you a dice roll appropriate. It wasn't stats-based. It wasn't like we're playing a war board game where you're looking, for, you're looking for exactly what you want to use. You don't say, I want to roll for mind, body, soul. You say, I want to climb that ladder. I want to dispel this ghost, whatever. And you say, brilliant, roll this for me. And that's, that really helps with pushing narrative forward because ultimately if we're all sitting here reading reading sheets um, of, of paper and rolling dice on a podcast without saying what we're doing that is terrible terrible content yes exactly yeah and anything any narrative first fiction first games i just think automatically make better audio better better actual play there's a lot of actual play out there um, and the majority of it is still dungeons and dragons and some of it is good but i think the people who make the best podcasts playing Dungeons and Dragons are the ones that are departing the farthest from how Dungeons and Dragons is set out in the rule books to be played. Mm-hmm. Whereas in systems like Monster of the Week or anything kind of powered by the apocalypse based, to a greater or lesser extent of Forged in the Dark systems as well, you can play them as written in the rule book and get good storytelling, like engaging audio out of them without having to kind of fight the system to get there. Fabulous.
So, you have your idea, you've run your test game with a Shetland pony, you gather your friends, you gather four people together, uh, you all arrange to meet up with dice, with bits of paper and pencils, looking like a mad cult, but sitting around (laughs) the kitchen table. Um, And that is where our story begins with season one, Ariadne, starring Ellie, Vicky, Alex and Strat. Ariadne, a tale of uh, ethereal spookiness and mystery where a well-managed theatre get-in is interrupted by the presence of a ghostly menace, and where a certain bovril-chugging NPC came to the fore. So, four brand-new members, uh, enthusiastic members, friends of ours, uh, come together to play this game. Ariadne is a story, as I say, about um, the very real-life Blackshaw Theatre Company doing a get-in at a a fictional theatre in London, um, interrupted by ghostly ghastliness. You find yourselves uh, outside a theatre, the best-kept secret of the West End, the Ariadne. Mm. It is... It's very well-kept secret. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's located in the little warren of Shopping Street around Kingley Court and Carnaby Street, just off Regent Street, uh, in a little courtyard, a stone's throw from Oxford Circus Station. Uh, You are Blackshaw Theatre, a South London theatre collective... Uh, who fewer people know uh, are also investigators of inexplicable happenings. Of course. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Agreed? Yes. yes. So far, it makes absolute yeah. sense. Yeah. Before we get into it, let's just sort of introduce some players. Obviously, all four of these guys are new, but let's focus on two players in particular. This was the first appearance, obviously, of uh, Ellie, very much the backbone, a pinnacle, key player throughout the um, Blackshaw saga. What's it like running a game for Ellie? And what was it like running this game for, for Ellie? Uh, I should say, first of all, like my initial concept or, or like one of the, the um, initial things that I thought about the show that ended up not being the case was that we would that Ellie and Vicky would be core cast and that they would be they would always be in it and that the other two players would be the ones that rotate. So in the end, we ended up with a bigger ensemble, and to kind of be fair to everybody and give everybody a fair shape, we ended up rotating everybody all the time. But the the initial idea when it was kind of a smaller thing, when it was much more limited to only people who are members of Blackshaw Theatre Company, this was envisioned as a Blackshaw Theatre Company podcast. A collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the idea was that we would have the kind of two core cast members and the regular GM and that the the rest of the cast would be what rotated. Because I had it in my head that for the audience, it's better to have sort of a number of familiar voices and sort of not so many new new voices to get to know every season. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe I'd be interested to hear from anybody in the audience whether whether they would have preferred that uh, to uh, what we ended up with. Yeah, please tweet your comments on this uh, <laughs> This comment what are we at merely role players on twitter at, at merely role play on twitter because of character limits <laughs> <laughs> um so yes yeah, so this was um this was uh the first of many many appearances from ellie um what i've noticed from going back and listening to all the old seasons is how much ellie sort of grows in confidence as the seasons uh, uh progress as you say ellie is is a, a theatery type she's an excellent um, improviser mm-hmm. and obviously a, a very theatrical person she's the, the real life director of um, blackshaw theater company I noticed a bit of hesitation initially in her voice in playing a game rather than just improvising a scene. And I think that is the same for quite a few people that don't play games who are theatery. They say, well, I just want to I just want to go ahead and, and, and chat and invent things in, in my brain. Why have I got this bit of paper in front of me? What am I what am I doing? How do I do this right? How do I win this game? Yeah, Ellie, Ellie has said on the record in many backstage episodes, so I, I, I don't feel bad putting words in her mouth, that in those early seasons, especially Ariadne, she had it in her head that that it was almost like a puzzle box kind of game that like I had come up with a story that they needed to tell. And for some perverse reason, I wasn't telling them what it was. And they had to puzzle out like the right path through it, almost like a choose your own adventure book. Almost like a, a railroading video game as well, right? Yeah. You are told that this is what we're supposed to do. So when when you're given that ultimate freedom of, hey, in this instance, Ellie, what do you want to do? There's almost that instant reaction of, what, what am I supposed to do? Tell me, where am I supposed to go? Yeah, like that. there is a, a correct way that Matt is expecting this to go. And if I don't make it go that way, I will disappoint him. Right. Um, we won't be friends anymore. 
that kind of which is not the case Ellie, if you're listening it's not the case at all brilliant uh, and in addition the other the other sort of backbone uh, for the Blackshaw saga Vicky another very theatrical person producer extraordinaire for Blackshaw theatre so lots of theatre experience not a lot of role playing experience no, not just theatre experience but Vicky is one of the most kind of genre savvy people that I know that's true uh, she, she, kn- she knows every trope under she, the sun. she knows her tropes mm-hmm. uh, and, and also as a role player is kind of like the word that comes to mind is forensic. Mm. She will dive into details and investigate things and try to puzzle out what the solution, like what the mystery is, but not in the kind of out of character, what does Matt the GM want me to do here, mm. but like what is this character mm-hmm. hiding from me? Yeah. That kind of thing. I get the impression from her, at least, that that's what she kind of enjoys in a game. I completely agree. She also is very, very focused on what needs to be done and trying to progress the story, which I think is, as a player, I'm, I'm very much like this myself when I play games like D&D, uh, I really appreciate because it's all well and good, everybody having fun and being chaotic and stuff, but ultimately there is an end goal here. So <laughs> fun police, that's that's me. But yeah, no. Again, I could I could sense perhaps a little, 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 little bit of nerves in her voice to begin with in, in this first season, but ultimately totally got on board with it as the seasons progressed yeah i i think there were a lot of nerves in my voice in the first season as well 100 100 so that's ellie and that's ellie and vicky i'll come to the other players later don't worry you won't be missed out let's talk about the system then uh, for those of you uh who perhaps have not listened to this season in a while and um, this was the very first system that matt had designed as he said derived from a game originally played on a holiday a few months earlier very very simple based on power by the apocalypse mm-hmm. Roll two dice, you apply a modifier, uh, and if it's a roll of seven or below, then it's a fail. Six or below. Six or below, then it's a failure between seven and uh, if it's between seven and nine, uh, it's a mixed success. Uh, ten or above, fantastic, well done. You get to do exactly what you want to. Tell us, tell us about the stats and tell us about the uh, the other parts of the character sheet. Uh, so the stats were mind, body, and soul, and you've got a, a a one and a zero and a minus one to allocate to those. Very heavily based on from uh, the Stolen Century, which I believe the stats for that one were mind, body, and heart. So I just, you know, this is a spooky game, so instead of heart, we're going to have soul. Mm-hmm. And I used the kind of the, the simple world structure, which doesn't have kind of basic moves in the same way as a lot of slightly more built-out systems like Monster of the Week do. Um, it just has the one kind of basic move, take action. Mm-hmm. And it's like... When you do something that's difficult or where the outcome would, like can potentially be interesting, pick the stat that seems the most appropriate. Whereas sort of some of the more built-out systems will have moves that are more defined and say, when you do this specific thing, roll this specific stat. But for these ones, it's just like, what? Oh, you're, you're doing something a bit magical and a bit spooky, so this will be a soul one. Or you're, you're trying to pick up a big ladder, so this will be a, a body roll. Well, what it means, there's there's two big benefits to that sort of game. The first one is it, it welcomes in newer players um, and all of you, you know, first first episode of the podcast, it sort of settles nerves that you've got a simplistic um, a simplistic system to play with. But secondly, it means that the eyeline of the players is never really on the character <laughs> sheet in front of them. They're looking to you. First port of call is, Matt, what can I do? Where do I go? Like I say, I want to climb that ladder. I want to go and investigate that noise. They're not looking a sheet, at a sheet saying, Matt, I want to roll soul because I'm really, really good at soul. What can I do? <laughs> Uh, it means it adds to the narrative-focused and driven gameplay that you strive to create. <laughs> and it's it's always fun um, when people are first getting used to systems, when they go, okay, this is what I want to do. They describe the action, and you tell them to roll their worst stat, and they go, <laughs> damn it, why can't I roll animal handling? I'm really good at animal handling. <laughs> but then that, that then ends up informing, like, characterful action. Mm-hmm. If they roll a very bad roll because they have minus one on body then the character they are in character maybe less likely to do physical things later in the game and that is characterful and leads to differentiation between the characters you know they're all approaching things in different ways because they're learning as they go what they're more likely to succeed at absolutely um so let's talk about the setting for ariadne the uh, the idea of putting it within a theatre and framing it with the within the idea of let's do a theatrical get-in. 
I personally think is very, very good. It's genius because you're settling the nerves of, of these four first-time podcast players and putting them in a situation that is completely familiar to them so that immediately they're given the choice of what to do within a scenario they recognise. Too often when you play games, you can be presented with a fantastical landscape or setting and told, right, you wizard, you futuristic battle robot paladin, what do you want to do? And you're just like, oh, I have no idea what's going you on. You end up with lots of questions along the line of, would I know anything about this? Yeah. <laughs> um, which ends up with just a lot of the GM talking. Yeah, 100%. You know, you you led, you want to lead with your players rather than it being, you know, a half hour introduction from, from the GM. You want them to get in straight away. And so therefore you can lead with, you're doing a get in, what do you do? We, we should say as well, it's not just a familiar setting, but... That for the whole of the Blackshaw saga, we had this conceit that we're all playing ourselves. Of course. Um, so we're not asking, we weren't asking the players to get into a character. It was more, I'll describe a situation, you tell me what you, the player, would do mm. in this situation. With the, um, with the concept of playing versions of oneself, mm. do you think that was a bit of a unique selling point for the podcast? Was that something that you wanted to, to hammer home when you started recording? It definitely wasn't something that I'd seen in a in a, an existing podcast. So yeah, a, a way of um, differentiating it. I was trying not to think too much about marketing at that point and still I'm not really, like it's still kind of a hobbyist thing more than something that we're trying to really make it big with. But I was mainly thinking about it as um, uh, an access thing and like you say, working with people who weren't necessarily veteran role-playing game players to take away that extra thing to concentrate on. Mm -hmm. And just say, okay, you don't need to remember four new names, your own and three and your three colleagues. You don't need to remember what they look like and be imagining that. You can be imagining the situation, but you can just imagine yourself. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to filter your actions through an extra layer of, okay, I need to understand this character and their motivation and then think about what they would do. I can just think about what I would do. Um, so we've discussed the system that you've created. Um, how did it feel running the system with this group of with this group of players and within this setting? So one of the things is, I think it's interesting to revisit, <laughs> or, or that I have found it interesting to revisit looking back at earlier seasons, is my understanding of Powered by the Apocalypse and the kind of the philosophy behind it and how it is, how it should be GM'd, because I think if you listen through maybe the sort of first three or four series i think it's when we get to amnesty is where you, when you can see that it really clicks and at this point i didn't i don't think i quite understood exactly what i had permission to do in response to roles or not in response to roles as well so like i think one of the reasons that this season gets started so slowly um and you know the the players have taken a lot of this upon themselves and and blame themselves for concentrating on the the mundane aspects of the theatrical get-in and not on the supernatural stuff but also I didn't have a good idea in my head of when it was appropriate or when I was kind of permitted to just make a thing happen so I was waiting for somebody to do something that required a role and for them to roll badly before something weird and supernatural would happen whereas and part of this is because I hadn't actually read a published Powered by the Apocalypse game at this point. So I was working almost off like the shadows on the cave wall rather than on the, the form of the thing itself. I was working off Simple World, which doesn't have GM tips really. And I was working off hearing Griffin McElroy uh, GM it on the, the Adventure Zone. And he, he had a very specific kind of set of targets he was aiming for in that season. So... When you get to read Monster of the Week or OG Apocalypse World, it becomes clear that the like everything the GM says should be a move, and there is a list of GM moves that help you sort of create fiction in the genre appropriate way. And it's the idea that just any time you are describing the world, you can be doing something consequential. You don't just have to be telling people this is what you see in the room. If somebody goes into somewhere or is sort of pottering about on stage, the GM is allowed to be like, and something weird and spooky happens, what do you do? You don't have to wait for a role for it. So I think that's another reason that it is kind of a, a slow starter. I believe there aren't any dice rolls in episode one of 
in Act One of Ariadne. I think it's all establishing um, yeah. plot and it's doing all, the getting. It's all it's all role yeah. playing, and mm. we don't get to any dice until um, until Act Two. Mm. And it's yeah, it's partly that I'm kind of like sitting there timidly waiting for people to do big action, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to take big action. No. And I didn't understand at the time that I could just make a thing happen. Yeah, absolutely, and, and get them to respond to it. Mm. Ultimately, you're in you're in charge. You're directing this piece of theatre, right? This podcast yeah. episode, this game, this piece of theatre. Um, and so, at any point, you can say, you know what? It's sort of they're going in and in either the wrong direction or the pace is slowing down. Do you know what? Uh, a light is going to randomly yeah. fall out of the rig and yeah. fall on you. What do you do? Because that's the point. It's all about making it engaging. It's about engaging it for the audience, for the players, for yourself. You yeah. want to see what people do. I need to. I should look back at my uh, either my journals or my story graph or something and work out at what point I actually read Apocalypse World, mm. the, the original powered by the Apocalypse system that all of these other ones have branched off from, and see if there's a change in how be- you run be- the game. Yeah, because the, I, to my mind, of all the ones that I've read, that's still the one that explains how to run the game the best. Mm-hmm. It is the best and most. It is when it really clicked for me how to run a powered by the Apocalypse game well and how the GM role is supposed to work and how it's very different from a, a Dungeons & Dragons Dungeon Master. Mm. But I don't think I read it for quite, like, for many, many, many seasons. Like, I think I'm pretty sure I read Impulse Drive first. Uh, I might have read bits of Masks before then. Um, it took me a long time to actually get my hands on a copy of Apocalypse World and read the original and go, oh, this is how it works. Now it makes and sense. you can see me getting there. Yeah. Through, like I say, up to up to amnesty when I start taking bigger swings, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see at what point I actually read those mm-hmm. those guidelines and when it really clicked. I mean, by the time we roll around to the final seasons, I'm thinking Prospero Viola and Deja Vu in particular. You are just throwing everything <laughs> at us. It just comes from nowhere, and it's wonderful because we have a chance to react and to deal with those big big moments. Yeah, I mean so. that is why that is why players get bogged down doing things like, oh, I, I'm just doing the minutiae of a, a day-to-day theatre-day job is because I'm not putting stuff there for them to react to. Mm. Or, like, the only things I'm giving them to react to are people, like the theatre manager, doing a do, like doing the mundanities of that job. Mm-hmm. And so that's all they have to react to. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, as much on me as on the players for Ariadne. 100%. Although I don't think... Like when you actually listen back, we all have it in our heads that Ariadne is an incredibly slow burn. Mm. And I think when you actually listen to it, if you're if you're listening through, kind of binging through all at once, I don't think it is that slow. No. So um, for my research listeners, I've been going back and listening to all the old seasons, and honestly, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it drags. It doesn't feel like it is a slow burner. Maybe it's a slow burner in terms of getting the action started, but once you're there. Then, then it's excellently paced. And once you're dealing with people falling down trapdoors and dealing with people barricading themselves in offices and ghostly audiences appearing, then it, you know, then it really, really sparks into action. So maybe a slow burner in terms of the start of, of the first episode of the season, but the whole season isn't a burner, isn't a, a slow burner. So don't be so hard on yourself, man. It's fabulous. Let's go to uh, the first question that we've got through, um, sent in by a player from season three, which we will hear from soon. Uh, Helen, uh, Helen's question very simply was, how nervous were you? Very. <laughs> there you go, Helen, you've got your answer. Uh, uh, very nervous. Yeah, and I think you can hear, like, each first was something to be nervous about. So, like, once the mic was running and I first opened my mouth, to introduce and set the scene, nervous about that. And then later down the line, first time to speak in character as a uh, supporting character, a new thing to be nervous about. First time somebody needs to make a role and I need to remember the mechanics. That's another thing to be nervous about. So it, was, it wasn't like starting nerves and then getting to your stride. It was like, oh, there's this other thing coming up that I is also, like everything was a first. So everything was something to be like, well, I don't know if this is going to work even or if I'm going to be able to do it. Absolutely. Listen, you've got to make those big decisions early on. You don't know if they're going to come off, but you've got to be brave enough to make those decisions, right? And ultimately it paid off uh, that you guys had such a hard job you know, performing for a podcast as well as participating in a new TTRPG. Um, I don't mean to be gushy, but you all did a really, really good job. And uh, the season was was great fun. Talking about nerves and talking about sort of being in a very new scenario. Let's move on to our first recorded question. 
Hello, Matt. This is Ellie of several series from Millie Role Players. Um, I got so bogged down in the minutiae of my role in Ariadne, I'd never played role playing games before. Um, and so I was focused on the literal day to day of running a real theatre get in rather than heading straight into the role playing action. I just did not understand that to keep things moving, I actually needed to do something, anything, uh, and that there were no wrong answers. How did that feel as GM? I imagine it was painful. Not so much painful as something that I hadn't anticipated. And so I remember a kind of frozen deer in the headlights kind of reaction of like, oh, this is what everybody's doing. I don't know what to do about this. Um, I think in uh, like now, if the if a similar a similar situation wouldn't happen because everybody knows what they're doing now. If a similar situation ar- arose today, I would know how to prompt it to say thing you know the the concept we had that I had introduced to the to the cast before we started rolling the mic was you're a theatre company but that's just a that's really just a cover and you're actually ghostbusters and you go into all of these haunted places and you exorcise or address ghostly paranormal manifestations and stuff like that Um, and so everybody picked up the memo of you are a theatre company because that was the familiar thing, exactly like we've just talked about. That was the familiar thing to seize upon, to smooth in and get things moving. And uh, nobody began to engage with the other half of the, the scenario, which was, you are secretly Ghostbusters. So if this happened now, I would be prompting things like, so in these situations, what is your usual procedure? Like, mm. how do you normally assess a space for manifestations? what is your normal first port of call like kind of bringing in elements of that routine like creating the new routine and then if we were still stuck you've always got the option of stepping back completely from the table completely out of character and going guys do you remember that we all agreed that this is a story about ghost busting do you want to do some ghost busting now (laughs) but like the 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 kind of the in-character prompts come first and are just a a slightly friendlier way of me saying this is the sort of action that we all agreed we wanted to see. Can we get to it? Like, this is the time to get to it now. Marvellous. Let's move on to the next topic. I wonder if you can guess what I'm going to talk about. It's an NPC (laughs) that drinks a certain uh, salty, beefy beverage. Uh, What do you think I'm going to talk to you about now? I think we might be moving on to the subject of Errol. Errol! Where did this character come from, Matt? <laughs> what, what, what prompted this? Have you got it written down in your book in front of you here? Have you got a note? I want to introduce a slightly odd, slightly gormless character who drinks Bovril, or did it just come from your imagination in the spur of the moment? So, in fact, the very first double-page spread of this notebook that I planned the early seasons in, before we get to the... So the, the second spread is titled Ghost Story and has notes on this will be the, about the Ariadne Theatre and this... This will be what the nature of the haunting is. Mm-hmm. But before we even get to the concept of the season, we have a, t- a spread titled The Observer. The Observer. <laughs> uh, and Errol came from a bit of uh, Dylan Moran stand-up that I remember from a, a long time ago, where he talks about the uh, the estuary English accent. Oh, okay. Is that the... Uh, <laughs> do you want another drink then? Is it that bit? It's, I, I believe the... So he's talking about the the key phrases that you use to get yourself into an accent. Okay, yeah. And also just generally talking about estuary English, and he describes it as boneless. <laughs> and that... Errol is definitely quite floppy. <laughs> I think he's eel-like. Uh, I believe the phrase that he uses to, to demonstrate estuary English is, no, I don't want that one. I want one of these ones. It's a little bit milder. God. Errol's in the room, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He's joining us. So I was a bit, a little bit less nasal than that, but I was like, well, that's an accent that I can do. Mm-hmm. Let's use that for this character. I tell you what, it's amazing listening back to the very first season, just quite how quickly the cast were repulsed or at least repelled <laughs> by him. You said like one phrase and I could hear the shivers down the spines of all of the, uh, all the players. I had no idea that I was setting myself up to quite such a hostile reaction to Bovril. I didn't know that Strat had that. Mm. Uh, that particular aversion. I've never met a person that likes Bob. No, you're supposed to drink it when you're ill. 
No, no, it's, no, it's for like fortifying, drink. right? It's meant to drink it when you but, literally have nothing else to possibly drink. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I've ever had Bovril is when we used to do um, swimming galas and you would sit on the side of the pool and get really cold and they would give you a hot Ribena or a hot Bovril. Why did you choose the Bovril? I would choose. Only if they ran out of hot Ribena. No, not even then. No, but you're I would so literally cold. drink the chlorine in the pool. <laughs> no, but that doesn't warm you up when you're like actually turning blue. I didn't. I genuinely didn't feel like realize you had such strong feelings. Yeah, against Bovril. So Nor did I. I. It's terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. I mean, you might as well just drink a like a bit of like Bisto gravy. I mean, just to go on record, Bovril is disgusting. I mean, I'm a vegetarian. I've never had it, but the, that idea of drinking beef stock is absolutely <laughs> revolting. Um, and uh, I will happily go on record um, saying that. Did you think that he was going to feature quite so heavily in Blackshaw lore? Yes. The, the whole point of him was that he would be the thing that turns up in every season. Um, and, see. and hints that these uh, disconnected standalone stories might not be as disconnected and standalone as they seem. So there was a big grandiose plan for him from day one. Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I knew from day one like exactly what he was doing, but I knew that I wanted. I I knew that I wanted to hint that the stories were connected, and a consistent character was a way of doing that. Sure. And to to make him work for that purpose, he needed to be distinctive and memorable. I mean, he was definitely memorable. See, I can't speak to for everybody else in the cast, but I just assumed that you were just putting him into trollers. That you were just putting him in because it'd be a giggle, and every time somebody went, "Oh, I'm going to go and speak to this NPC," and you went, "Oh, they've got badges. They look a little bit eely. They look a bit boneless." Um, and everyone goes, "Oh, Jesus, it's him, isn't it? He's back." I just assumed that he was just a joke. No, no. And in fact, the Bovril thing was the. F- uh, I wanted to hint whenever he appeared. I wanted there to be strong hints that he's kind of there's something a bit wrong, and he's not from here. Mm. Like he doesn't really get how stuff works. So like he knows that people drink hot drinks, and mm. and they're sometimes black. And he's found some bovril, so he's mm. going to make bovils. Yeah, there's a slight element of like a Mr. Bean here, like yeah, right. The, the 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 concept of Mr. Bean, the character, was that he is an alien and he's dressed <laughs> up like a very sort of normal, boring, grey man. Is that the concept behind Mr. Bean? Supposedly, or it's a fan theory, or it's something. And I don't know if you know this, but at the end of Mr. Bean, or at the beginning, I can't remember in the original TV show, he like zooms down. He's there's like a spotlight <laughs> on an, like an empty stage, and he just appears. So the idea is that he's been beamed down from a UFO. Uh, <laughs> If you have any other Mr. Bean uh, theories, please do tweet at me. <laughs> uh, and inside you find a young chap, apparently having already just boiled the kettle and doing some doing some bustling about. Oh. Uh, he is probably a little, uh, seems a little younger than Phoebe, maybe like yeah. mid-twenties rather than, rather than late. Uh, he has on a... Uh, uh, faded denim jacket covered in patches mm-hmm. and it's sort of a mixture of kind of like uh, like activism organisation patches like mm. he's got a rainbow and a pride yeah. thing and that, that kind of stuff and like um, what you'd call like stealth geek uh, right. patches so like a Wayland yutani patch right. and like uh, an Institute of Planar Research and Exploration patch and stuff like that that is like referencing geek stuff yeah. but it doesn't just say the name of the thing it's like yeah. an organisation from the thing yeah mm-hmm. Uh, he's got uh, one one side of his head is shaved and he's got the rest of his hair just like looks less well maintained and is just kind of in a big messy sweep over to the other side. Okay. Uh, and he's just pouring for he's pouring a load of mugs full of uh, uh, boiling water at this point. And he hasn't noticed that you've come in. OK. Oh, sorry, mate. Um, I, I, I'm Alex. Um, I'm with Blackshaw. We've just come in to do the, the, the new show that's, that's going up. Uh, it's going up tomorrow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew you were coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm Errol. Oh hi, Errol. So what, what do you do here? Oh, I just, um, I just do the, the odd, odd bit and bob. Yeah. So All I'm, right. I'm just, I'm just doing a, I'm just doing a round. Do you wanna, do you wanna, do you yeah, wanna copper? Absolutely. That'd done, be lovely. I've done, I've done four, and there's four mugs of steaming black liquid. Liquid. <laughs> okay. Let's hope some of them are coffee, and <laughs> at least one of them is tea. Um, so Matt, to finish off uh, our discussion of uh, Ariadne season one, I'm going to have to go full Paxman on you now. I need to ask you a very serious question and I will not, uh, I will only accept a yes or a no or answer here. Okay. Are you ready for the big question? Just a yes or a no. 
uh, you can begin with that and then I will look forward <laughs> to hearing your explanation because you're probably going to upset um, one side mm. of um, the media world players universe. Okay. What is this? I, hang on, wait. So you, you met a bloke who was making a round of drinks and yeah. you assumed that no, he was he making didn't. drinks for us. I didn't who, assume he was making drinks for us. He said, here's some drinks, would you like them? Yeah, but what I'm saying he was obviously <laughs> making drinks for someone and what you did was walk into that room <laughs> and, and take drinks. the drinks that he but was he making specifically for somebody else. He didn't really offer them. What did, he, did he, he offer did. them? He did offer them, otherwise I wouldn't have taken them. Who were the other people that he was making the drinks for at know. this point? He didn't know how many of us there were, or that I didn't want a hot drink. How many drinks was he making? I, I just saw a lot of full, full cups. So, so him. I assumed it was him and then th- the three of us. But who he had own... not met and didn't know we were going <laughs> no. to want tea well, or coffee. That's so confusing. I don't... But then four doesn't make sense because that would have been him, B, and Tess. There's only three of them. Here's the question. <clears throat> Did Alex steal the bottle <laughs> from Errol? Did he steal it? No, Alex didn't steal the bottle. Vindication. <laughs> Alexander Pankhurst there. He's not a thief, <laughs> not guilty, Your Honour. <laughs> Didn't steal the bottle, I'm pretty sure he it did It does sound it. like it got offered, it does yeah. sound like it got offered. I'm just nick someone's bottle, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Although awful. interesting that he assumed that we would want bottle. So before we move on and before we move away from uh, the first season, Ariadne, We've got a little bonus segment, a bit of light-hearted fun, because we like light-hearted fun here at Media Role Players, don't we, Matt? Yes, we do. He says, we're looking all, slightly all, uncomfortable. We're all about having fun. <laughs> we're all about having fun. Um, Matt, I am aware that you don't get to play many uh, of our games. You, uh, Your sole appearance is in Parallax, mm-hmm. one of them, converging, emerging? Uh, I believe it's inverted. Inverted, uh, Matt the Hound, of course. Um, but we thought we'd use this as an opportunity for you to get to... Create a character sheet for yourself <laughs> for the season. So at the end of every season, we're going to be going through and we'll just be working out exactly uh, who you are uh, and condens- condensing your very complicated personality into a few lines <laughs> on a slip of paper. It would be remiss of me not to name this segment Matt's Stats. So, uh, Matt, what have we decided to call season one in your honour? The It says at the top of this slip, season one, Ari Matney. Ari Matney. Yes, you can see a theme emerging here. Love it's going, a pun. It's going to get very tricky as the seasons go on and on. <laughs> so, uh, three stats. Mind, body and soul. Body is the obvious one. Physical, uh, running, climbing trees and, and whatever else. Um, tell us a quick difference between mind and soul. Uh, so, mind is for intellectual stuff like remembering or coming up with a puzzle solution or, or analysing some financial records or that kind of thing whereas Perfect. soul is for spooky stuff spooky ghostly doing, things doing magic and communing with spirits and all of those kinds of things fabulous where do you think don't write anything in yet but where do you think your stats would be so just a reminder to the audience you get three stats um, for Ariadne you get a positive one a zero and a minus one where would you assign your stats I'm playing myself I think I would, my instinct would probably be to go mind one, soul zero, and body minus one. Interesting. Well, as you very well know, here at Merely Roleplayers, we don't get to decide our own stats. It's the people around the table that get to decide your stats for you, uh, and indeed everything else that's on your sheet. Uh, so I've enlisted uh, season one um, player, Blackshaw Theatre Director Ellie, to help you fill out your sheet. So um, here we are. So I asked uh, Ellie, what would Matt's stats be? So you said mind one, body minus one, yep. soul zero. She has given you mind one, body minus one, and soul zero. Hey. Congratulations. And she said... That is sorry, a strong start. That's a hell of a strong start. We should start making some notes on this to see quite how well you do, see if you can get 100% by the end. So tick, tick, tick for you. Yes, we've turned it into competition. Um, Ellie said, uh, Matt is a cerebral man uh, with just the right amount of soul. I don't really know what that means, but that seems to be a, a nice nice comment. Just the right amount of soul. Zero. Zero soul. Aver- less than averagely soulful. She's written, he doesn't believe, but he loves to think about the spooky and the supernatural. And his bod, and I believe she means bod, I don't think that's a typo, and his bod, whilst perfect is not suited to fighting. <laughs> and I always score bodies on their fighting potential. 
Fight Club pick in there. I, I remember a, uh, uh, a challenge of the early seasons was coming up with names for stats that wouldn't lead to, like, insulting feelings. <laughs> it always feels slightly strange when you first when you first have to like judge other people and yeah. you're like, oh no, you know, Josh, he's stupid. He's got a minus one for mind. His body's <laughs> yeah. not great either. So can we have two minus ones? It always feels a little bit strange, but we take it, we take it. Yeah, I, I think I remember there was a discussion of like, oh, Vicky has no soul. <laughs> I seem to remember being a thing that came up. Uh, yes, indeed. You've also got a special, um, uh, you've got a role at the Blackshaw Theatre get in. Um, your role in this, Ellie has des- uh, designed, uh, has given you a lighting designer slash technician. Uh, yep. You were a lampy in a, in a former life, of I course. Been, yeah. Now bear in mind that several times throughout uh, Ariadne, uh, lighting equipment started falling <laughs> from, from the ceiling. So, uh, so you obviously didn't do a great job there. And finally, I asked her, what signature spooky move would Matt have? And she's given you the role of medium, the host of a seance. <laughs> and she's written, it's basically the spooky version of a GM, right? Yeah. How do you feel about that? How would you have got on with uh, with those abilities if you were in the original Ariadne? Uh, I would definitely have been trying to communicate with the entity rather than necessarily fight it in the first instance. And uh, with my zero soul, probably would have rolled badly and got taken over. Yay! <laughs> Ghostly Matt. Um, I mean, it's it's really, really fortunate that you weren't in the original Ariadne with that ability because 10 minutes in, you would have said, hey, I'm going to hold a seance. Good, I've convinced them to go. Let's do the get-in. And it would have been a real slow burner of an episode. <laughs> Fabulous. Matt Stats for Season 1, Ari Matney. This has been Replay, a backstage episode from Merely Roleplayers. It was created, researched, and hosted by Josh Yard, and the editing, music, and production were by me, Matt Boothman. If you have a question about any Merely Roleplayers production from Parallax onwards, tweet it at Merely Roleplay on Twitter, or email it to MerelyRoleplayers at gmail.com, and it could be featured in an upcoming replay episode. Merely Roleplayers is a Foggy Outline production in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Until next time, if drama be the food of life, play on!